0: Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. Our current series is called The Ripple Effect. Our goal is to understand how the forces that shape our lives affect us personally and then ripple out beyond us to impact our friends, our neighbors, and the world at large. I hope you enjoy.
1: With that, let us move forward in our worship with our first scripture reading coming to us from Leviticus chapter 26, verses 9 through 18. just want to make sure I have it right. A couple weeks ago I didn't. (laughs) I will look with favor upon you and make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will maintain my covenant with you. You shall eat old grain long stored, and you shall have to clear out the old and make way for the new. I will place my dwelling in your midst, and I shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be their slaves no more. I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. But if you will not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes, And abhor my ordinances, so that you will not observe all my commandments, and you break my covenant, I in turn will do this to you. I will bring terror on you. Consumption and fever that waste the eyes and cause life to pine away. You shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down by your enemies. Your foes shall rule over you and you shall flee through no one though no one pursues you and if i in spite of this you will not obey me <clears throat> you will not obey me i will continue to punish you sevenfold for your sins the word of the lord <clears throat>
0: so how's everybody doing today it's good to see you all did you have a good new year Good, good. I wasn't sure anybody would be here today because I know a lot of people are coming back. So it's nice to see everybody that's here. Um, so we heard from TC. I'm going to read uh, John 13. It's just two verses, very short. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, as we enter into the new year, we're going to be doing a new sermon series. And this sermon series is called The Ripple Effect. If you're not familiar with the concept of the ripple effect, it's based on what you see from the visualization that occurs in water when a water droplet drops down and it emanates out. This concept, this visualization that we're talking about, it is the, uh, the reason why they came up with this phrase, the ripple effect. And it refers to this idea of how you have an event that happens in one place, and then that event, it emanates out, it ripples out, and it affects circumstances and situations that are not connected to the initial event. Now, if you've never heard of the ripple effect or it's something that you're not familiar with, once you understand how it works, you can see it impacting all these different areas of your life. And the way that we're going to be dealing with it in this particular sermon series is that we're going to look at the forces that shape our lives. So we're going to look at... The genetics, the socioeconomics, we're going to be looking at psychology and culture and life experiences and how all these things shape us personally, and then how they ripple out beyond us, and they impact our family, our friends, our neighbors, and the world at large. Now, the people who study the ripple effect, what they will tell you is that we have little to no control over whether or not these forces are going to shape our lives. It basically, it's just going to shape your life, nothing you can really do about it. But one of the reasons why we're doing this series and why I find this principle to be so interesting is that I really believe that through Jesus and the gospel, you can actually disrupt some of these influences that have shaped our lives and it can reform you into a completely different person. Now, if all of this sounds very obtuse and you don't understand necessarily what I'm talking about, you will understand very much later today. So let's jump in to our theme for the day where we're going to be talking about our life narrative. That's what we're going to be discussing, our life narrative. So to begin, I think that we have to just say straight out that all human beings, when we are born, we are blank slates when it comes to our culture. Is that true? Okay. It's true. When it comes to our culture, blank slate. So you have to be taught about where you exist culturally, where you fit into society. These things have to be taught to you as you grow up. And as these things are fed to you, you get a sense of your history, of where you came from, and also you get a sense of your future, where you're going. To give you an example of this, let's talk about the Jewish people. Let's say you were born into the Jewish faith. So where does your history begin? It begins where? In the in the Holy Land, which and we have a history of it in the book we talk about all the time, right in the, in the Bible, right? In the Old Testament. And what you heard T.C. read this morning is actually a little bit of that history. Let's just reread a little bit of that right now. All right, so I, and that's referring to God, right? I will look with favor upon you and make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will maintain my covenant with you, and I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. So, What this is saying, very plainly, is that if you're Jewish, you belong to God, right? And that's a really, really positive narrative, is it not? Because, think about it, the God that created the universe chose you out of all the peoples in the world, and has made a covenant with you, has chosen you. Now that's a really wonderful narrative that shapes your life. But that's only one side to the narrative, right? You remember the second half of what he read, right? And the second half, it's a completely different thing. It says, but if you will not obey me and you do not observe these commandments, I in turn will do this to you. I will bring terror on you. I will set my face against you and you shall be struck down by your enemies. Your foes shall rule over you. So, along with the privilege of being God's chosen people, you have a responsibility. If you don't live up to God's expectations for your life, then God is going to make you suffer. And this is the narrative that has defined the Jewish life for millennia, right? God loves you, God has chosen you, but if you mess up, God's going to punish you. So this narrative, how old is it? Do you have any idea? I mean, it goes back at least 3000 years, does it not? And It starts in these texts, these ancient texts, and it has rippled out beyond the text itself, and it has become the standard by which many Jewish people live their lives. And it's true, is it not? The Jewish people have been quite successful, haven't they? But that success, it brings with it a certain amount of jealousy. And for people who are struggling, people who feel like, well, I haven't been given a fair shake at life, they will often blame the Jewish people for their circumstances. And as a result, they've had to face violent persecution. So the narrative of the Jewish people is one of success and persecution. Yes? I mean, that's the narrative, is it not? And if you buy into that narrative, not only does it define your past, which is the past for the Jewish people, but it has the ability to define your future. And that's where we get into the problem with the ripple effect. Because what happens is this narrative, it ripples out and it impacts every successive generation of Jewish children where they believe, well, my future is I'll be successful, but I'm also going to have to face persecution. Now, why? I really find this particular example to be helpful when it comes to the ripple effect is that there's two parties involved in this, right? There's the party of the Jewish people who perpetuate this narrative within their own culture, but then there's something else going on. There are the people outside the Jewish faith who are perpetuating this narrative because they're the ones who do what? They're the ones who do the persecuting, right? So what's interesting about this is that you have a narrative. There's a narrative of the Jewish people, but does that narrative impact us? Absolutely it does. Because their narrative becomes our narrative, and it ripples out, and it impacts each successive generation of non-Jewish children. So the question we're trying to answer this morning, if we're going like to boil it all down into something that's like meaningful to us, is can you disrupt a narrative that has defined your life for generations? Can you have the success without the persecution? Can you stop the negative ripples from creating the same cycle over and over again? That's the question we're going to attempt to answer this morning. And in order to try to get down into this, I'm going to tell you a story. And this story is about a young man named Derek Black. Now, before I can tell you about Derek Black, I have to tell you about his father, Don Black. So Don Black is the founder of a website, stormfront.org. I don't know if you've ever heard of stormfront.org before, but it propagates hate speech that comes from groups like the Ku Klux Klan and neo-Nazis. In fact, that man right there is the person who first coined the term white nationalist. So you've heard that, I'm sure, a lot in recent years. He's the one who came up with that terminology. So this gives you a sense of how his son, Derek Black, might have grown up. In fact, Derek is the godson of David Duke. And David Duke is the grand wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. So this is how this young man grows up. And he is fed from an early age in ideology that American society works best when races are forcibly separated from one another. And he believes very strongly in this ideology. In fact, Derek Black, during his teenage years, becomes an avid preacher of the tenets of white nationalism. Now, what you need to know about Derek Black is that he's extraordinarily intelligent, very, very smart. And what he does is, he goes out and he starts looking into studies, research. He wants to find studies that support white nationalism. And what he discovers is that there's all these studies out there about the biological differences between races. And he uses this to create persuasive arguments around white nationalism. And in fact, his father looks at Derek and he says, you know what, this kid is so good at making these arguments that what we're going to do is we're going to give him a larger platform. So he tells his son, I want you to start making a radio show. And every day he records this radio show, and they broadcast it out down in a local area of Florida, Lake Worth, and they get it on this AM radio station. But it starts at this AM radio station, and of course it becomes very popular, and it starts to ripple out beyond that. And it becomes this really important show that white supremacist sympathizers all over the country... Listen to. And so, in this way, Derek Black becomes this kind of minor celebrity within the white supremacist circles. Now, it's here, I want to just take a moment with Derek's story, and I want to step back and I want to talk about just real quick this concept of narrative and how it defines our lives. So, he was fed a narrative, Derek was, from a very early age, that your value as a human being is. Determined greatly by your race. And he thought of this value in terms of a hierarchy. At the top of the hierarchy are white Protestants of European descent. And everybody else falls below that. So if you are Jewish, if you're African American, if you're Hispanic, if you are Arab, if you're Asian, whatever you are, if you're beneath, if you don't fall into that category, you are less than. And he very much blamed all of those other groups of people for undercutting and destroying the fabric of American society which he believed belonged to white Europeans. Now, when Derek is putting this out there, he is constantly reinforcing this belief in his life because he's only around people who believe this and he's got a radio show where he's inviting people on who believe exactly what he believes, and they're all citing these same studies to prove the things that they want to prove. And it's not just that he wants to reinforce this for himself, he wants to convince everyone else, all of you, that what he thinks and the way that he thinks about the world is the right way to think about the world. It is, in essence, a feedback loop, right? And this feedback loop is that you're only hearing your own perspective all the time. And you're never having anybody else challenge that perspective. So he goes through his teenage years, goes through high school, he's doing this radio show, and he graduates from high school. And he decides that he wants to get into politics. And so he actually ends up running for a political office. I don't have time to get into the specifics of that, because it's a little bit of a diversion from where we're going. I would highly suggest you look that up, because it's very interesting about how this 18-year-old kid and what he does back in the late aughts, how it impacts our political system and the way it operates right now. That's how much of an influence this kid had on our country. Set that aside for now. He goes, he tries to run for political office, it doesn't entirely work out for him, so he decides, you know what, I'm gonna go to college. And he applies and is accepted to the new college of Florida. Now this is new college, it's pretty nice, right? You can see why you wanna go there. Ironically, New College is one of the most liberal colleges in the state of Florida. And the idea is that he wanted to go there because he wanted to expose the hypocrisy of liberal multiculturalism. That's essentially what he was there to do. And so the idea was he's gonna go in and he was gonna try to convince the students of New College that his ideas, the ideas of white nationalism, that they actually had merit. And he believed that if he can convince them then he can convince anybody. Now he gets there and the moment he's there and he starts talking to people he's like, "Hmm, if he le- if I let my racist ideology be known immediately, he realizes things probably aren't going to work out too well for him." So, he decides he's going to hold off. He's going to make some friends and then he's slowly going to let his views be known. And that's what he does. He starts making friends. He goes sailing all the time, which you can clearly do there. (laughs) You can go sailing. It's like right on the water. Um, He is really into medieval history and medieval reenactment. He forges his own armor, and he actually dresses up as a knight for Halloween. And he's part of this group of guys in his dorm who get together, and they watch zombie movies all the time. And within this particular group of guys... There is a Peruvian immigrant and an Orthodox Jew, none of whom had any idea that he was affiliated with white supremacy. But all that changes when Derek goes for a semester abroad. The next year, he leaves for a semester abroad. He goes over to Germany. And while he's gone, there's an upperclassman who's writing a research paper on terrorist groups. And Derek's face pops up in one of his searches. And so he knows him. He can see him. I mean, Derek, he's got that red hair. He's pretty, pretty noticeable. And so he posts a thread on the community forum at New College. And the thread reads like this. Derek Black, white supremacist, radio host, New College student. So this post, it garners more than 1,000 responses, more than any post in the history of New College. Most of the students were calling for him to be expelled Others were calling for things that were much, much worse. So Derek, he returns to school, returns to New College after a semester abroad, and he's pretty much shunned by everyone. Everybody doesn't talk to him, except for one person. This one guy named Matthew Stevenson. And Matthew Stevenson is that Orthodox Jew who would watch zombie movies with Derek during his freshman year. Being that he was the only Orthodox Jew on campus, he would have a weekly Shabbat dinner. So that's a dinner that happens before the Sabbath every Friday night. A lot of Orthodox Jews will do this as a celebration before they go into the Sabbath. It's a wonderful tradition. And he would host this at his on-campus apartment. And he would invite anybody who wanted to come. And the people who were there weren't generally Jewish. They were atheists. They were Christian. They were multicultural, African-American, Hispanic. In his words, anybody who's willing to listen to a few prayers in Hebrew... Welcome to come. So he sends out an invitation to Derek. And Derek, since he had come back from campus, had had literally no social interaction with anyone. So he accepts this invitation, which is a big deal. Remember, if you're part of the white supremacist community, Jews are not exactly looked upon with a lot of favor. But he accepts this. And Matthew, he has very specific rules for the people who are going to be coming to the dinner while Derek is there. The first rule is you do not mention his connection to white nationalism or white supremacy. Two, you will not mention any of the posts on the forum. And three, you will treat him with kindness, decency, and respect just like any other person. So Derek shows up to the group, brings a bottle of wine with him, comes in. Things are a little tense at first, but as they get into the evening, things go okay. And he decides, you know what, I'm going to come back next week. So Derek comes back the next week and then the next until after more than a month, he's part of the group. Now, at these dinners where they would get together, and you can see that that's Matthew Stevenson right there on the side. When they would get together, they would have conversations about all kinds of things. And mostly Derek would just listen. So the Peruvian immigrant, that other guy who we watched the uh, zombie movies with, he would come to this. And he talked about what it was like growing up in a school that was 90% Hispanic. Matthew would sometimes talk about the relationship between Israel and Palestine. And when Derek did talk, he would talk about the particulars of Arabic grammar, or marine aquatics, or the roots of Christianity in the medieval times. After about more than a year of them having these dinners... They decided, you know what, we know him well enough, we feel good together, we're friends, let's talk to him about his affiliation with white nationalism and white supremacy. And so, they begin this conversation with him, and he's very quick to point out, he says, look, I'm not affiliated with groups like the KKK, I'm not a neo-Nazi, I'm not even really a white supremacist, which he differentiated from white nationalism. He saw those as being two separate things. He said, what I believe is that because there has been massive integration, immigration into our country, and that because all of these people are being forcibly integrated together, meaning that everybody has to live with each other, that there's going to be a white genocide, is what he fears. And that ultimately, every race is better off in their homeland, their own homeland, where they can live separately. So, even though he's espousing these views, though, what's interesting is that this narrative to which he had dedicated his life is starting to crumble for him, it's falling apart. Part of it is due to the fact that he's having these dinners with all of these people all the time. But another part of it is is that once they get into this, he's starting to bring up the research that he had back when he was hosting his radio show. And he's showing them these studies, he's like, look, I'm just showing you what we know to be true. But people at New College, they're no dummies, And they also have studies, and they show him two or three or four studies for every study that he has that gives him a different perspective, a different way of looking at this information. And as he's kind of integrating all of this into himself, he starts to question whether or not white nationalism is truly supported by science, or for that matter, history. And he eventually comes to the conclusion that this narrative that he had been taught his entire life that white Europeans have been the superior race for all of human history, that that's a total and complete lie. And so in 2013, he penned a letter to the S- Southern Poverty Law Center. Now, you have to understand that the Southern Poverty Law Center is the primary nemesis of the white nationalist movement. And that, in fact, his father, Don Black, had sparred with them on many different occasions. And in this letter... Derek renounces his affiliation with white nationalism. This is what he says. I can't support a movement that tells me I can't be a friend to whomever I wish, or that other people's races require me to think of them in a certain way or be suspicious at their advancements. The things I have said, as well as my actions, have been harmful to people of color, people of Jewish descent, activists striving for opportunity, and fairness for all. I'm sorry for the damage done. Now, as you can imagine, this letter sent ripples through the white supremacist community. And it came at great personal cost to Derek. His family cut off all ties with him and they labeled him a traitor, which in that community is bad because those are t- types of people who sometimes will react very violently. And so, for a while, he was fairly scared about what was going to happen to him. But in the intervening years, things got better for him. And he has dedicated himself to civil rights for all people, and to trying to set right the wrongs that he set into motion through his affiliation with white nationalism. Which brings us back to the question that prompted me to tell you all this story in the first place, which is, can you stop... The negative ripples from creating the same cycle over and over again. And the answer to that question is yes. But you have to change the narrative. You see, we all grow up with a narrative, do we not? We all grow up with a story that we tell ourselves about who we are and where we came from. And that story is important because it guides us. It influences how we treat the people who we interact with. And most importantly, it ripples out beyond us, and it impacts other people around us. The narrative that you've been told, I'm sure it has positive elements, does it not? I mean, when you talk about Derek Black, he had some positive elements to his story, didn't he? I mean, the fact is, he was told from a young age that he should be proud of his heritage. And there's nothing wrong with being proud of where you came from. Nothing wrong with that. Everybody in here, you can be proud of where you came from. The problem is that when the positive side of that narrative becomes so all-encompassing and so all-consuming that it ends up negatively impacting your life, such as you feel that you are so superior in terms of where you came from that everybody else is beneath you. Now, let me give you an example to help you understand how a narrative can be so all-consuming that it can impact you because... Probably racism isn't going to be your thing, right? So let me give you an example. An example would be your career. So everybody in here, I know most of you in here, you have dedicated yourselves to a career, to working hard at what you do. Some of you have retired from that. Others of you are still in the middle of it. Now, when you invest a lot of time in your career, if that's something that you're going to put time into, what that means is is that you're going to have to sacrifice certain things? You have to sacrifice time in other areas of your life. Am I right? And so sometimes you end up sacrificing time with your family and with your spouse, and to the point where it ends up causing friction, and it can cause your marriage to break down, your family to break down. And when that happens, it calls into question this narrative that you've built up in your life, which is I've dedicated myself to my career. I know things are going to have to be sacrificed. But when that thing that you've built up, that thing that you've dedicated yourself to becomes the very thing that ends up destroying your life, that calls into question whether or not the narrative is worth it. And this can happen in so many different areas for us, not just with your career. It can happen with your children. I see spouses who get so involved with their children. That is the narrative of their life. They're going to do everything for those kids. And then what happens? Your kids eventually leave, or at least you hope they do, right? And <laughs> they, they go somewhere else. And then that narrative breaks down for you because you've, you've spent everything on them, right? you You've, you've Invested all this into them. I see this with spouses who are very invested in each other, too invested in each other in some ways. Because if one of them if they get divorced or one of them dies, it can cause you to totally collapse in on yourself. I see this with people who make their narrative about money, obtaining money and things and building them up. I talked a few weeks ago, right, about how that kind of life can lead to a very vacuous, empty existence. I see this with people in politics. People get really dedicated to their political party. And then, if their political party lets them down, they don't know what to do in that situation. I see this with people in sports. Hey, the Bears, they're going into playoffs, right? This afternoon, first time in a long time. I'm sure many of you are very excited about that, and you're going to watch that this afternoon. And I'm sure you're going to be excited. If they win or they lose, it's just great that they're there, right? But some people are so invested in their team that that winning and losing actually can crush them because their connection to those teams make it so that their success or their failure becomes their success or failure. The point I'm trying to make is that when you become overinvested in any one narrative and that narrative ends up negatively impacting your life, you have a choice. You can double down on that narrative, which is what a lot of people do, right? So say it's your career. Oh no, my family fell apart. Well, I'm just gonna put the pedal to the metal when it comes to my career and whatever, I'm just gonna keep going. Or you can change the narrative. Now changing the narrative, if Derek Black is any indication, is really difficult. And it can come at great personal cost to you. Just think about it for a second with Derek Black, right? His entire life was built around white supremacy, was it not? Everybody, everything that rippled out from him was based on white supremacy, those thoughts, those ideas. He changes his narrative, and it ripples out, and it causes all of that to collapse, doesn't it? So, here's the thing. He realized that the narrative he had for his life wasn't working, and he needed to seek an alternative. And the question is, how did he get an alternative? How did he find that alternative? He did so by speaking with people who challenged his narrative think about it he spoke with Jews. He spoke with immigrants. And that made him realize that his narrative was inaccurate. He'd been told one narrative his entire life about Jews and immigrants, right? And then he has to push that up against actual Jews and actual immigrants. And he realized that there were holes there. But here's the key to it all. It's not just that he spoke with them. It's that those people treated him with love And kindness. Can you imagine if he had walked into those Shabbat dinners and they sat down and immediately started firing at him? You're a white supremacist. You're a horrible person. What would have happened? He would have just got up and left. But because they showed him love and kindness, that made him rethink this narrative that had defined his life forever. And this is why I love Christianity so much. It's why I love the Christian faith. I see people walk through our doors all the time and they bring with them this narrative that has destroyed their lives. And they tell me about this narrative. And a lot of times it's really hard to hear because it's really tough things that have happened to them. But I don't judge them for it. And I do what Jesus tells us to do. I I show them love. What does Jesus say? Do you remember? He says, just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. And I will tell you, in my experience, when you show love to somebody, it can disrupt and break down those negative narratives that have defined people's lives forever. Just showing a little bit of love can go a long way. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you are. What I do know for sure is that the love that Jesus shows us and then that we show to other people, it can stop those ripples from destroying people's lives and it can change our lives for the better. And so the way that I want to end this morning is I want to ask you today to look at the narrative of your life. What is the story that you tell yourself about where you came from? And if that story is bringing you pain, if that story has brought hurt to other people around you, I would ask you to consider should you seek out an alternative. You don't have to change your whole story, but you may have to change pieces of it to make it better. And in order to do that, my prayer for you is that you might seek out people who would challenge your narrative, that you might seek out people who are going to show you different perspectives. Don't hide from the perspectives that are different from your own. But most importantly, my prayer for you today is that you might find people who show you love and comfort and respect and welcoming because Those are the types of things that will change your world. Derek Black changed his world because he was loved and he was welcome. And if you find love and welcome in your life, then, my friends, it opens doors to worlds that were previously closed off to you. We all have a story. The question is, does your story need to change? Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstprezah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Prez family of faith.